There is a proper way to walk. Our text this morning is going to be Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and then verses 13 through 25. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to your word, that we might be hearers and doers of it, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're in boot camp, everybody arrives walking their own way. The drill instructors teach you a new way of walking that gets things done in a purposeful, timely manner, and that is marching in formation. Once everyone gets the hang of it, things get done right, and a new sense of purpose and discipline takes hold that follows you for the rest of your life, because it's important to walk in the right way. There's a right way to walk, and as a Christian, there's a right way to walk as well. This morning we'll see that principle in action in Galatians as St. Paul shows us how to walk this way. Walk this way. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 1. Galatians chapter 5 beginning in verse 1. And it says there, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now the context is this chapter 4, where the people of God are instructed to be set free from the overbearing ways of the Judaizers. Now this is something that would have been understandable in the first century context. The old covenant is fading away. The new covenant's breaking in. Things are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. What to do with the old covenant law? Well, the answer for the Judaizers was, when Gentiles come into the church, they need to become Jews. They need to be circumcised. They need to fulfill the law and its ceremonial demands. But we're told here that we have freedom in Christ and that we've been set free from the yoke of slavery. We can be enslaved to lustful sins from which we are set free as well. Freedom in Christ isn't raw liberation. Freedom in Christ is liberation to be truly human. When you see the Lord Jesus Christ, you see how it is to be truly human, and we have been born in him, and by the power of the Spirit are pressing on, becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We're liberated to be truly human. We're free to walk in the way forward, not backward. So that's the context for chapter 5 here. We're going to move down now to verses 13 and 14. And it says there, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now isn't that interesting? He doesn't put the first part of that there, the Apostle Paul. The part where we're supposed to love God with all of our substance and all of our being. Well, I think he doesn't do that because he assumes that these are believers But what they need is a practical outworking of the faith, and that is to love neighbor as self. This was a Gentile church surrounded by wicked Greco-Roman practices, paganism, and they were to beware. They were to beware not to fall back into the old ways. Sometimes people will come out of legalistic traditions as well, sort of like modern Judaizers. Maybe perhaps some of you have. I started out my Christian walk as a fundamentalist. And maybe you've come out of some form of Baptistic fundamentalism. Or maybe something like Amish or Mennonite traditions. And you feel liberation on things like drinking, on entertainment, 
on things like dress and what would be modest or immodest. But we're not to go to the other extreme and use our liberation in Christ as an excuse to do anything we want. Instead of walking in the flesh, we're to walk in the way of Christ. How so, says the Apostle Paul? By serving others. Going on to verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now in the Greek here, the words there for bite and sting is what that is. When it says bite and devour one another, it means literally to bite and sting. And these are the ways of wild dogs and beasts. We're not to be like wild dogs and beasts as Christians. We're not to be tearing each other down on various practices that we may have in our lives as Christians. We're to have grace with one another. You see, once you step down the road to legalism, it's hard to stop. Now, you can understand legalism. In fact, probably all of us have some form of practice of that. Not necessarily bad in and of itself, but we need to beware. So you've got God's command, and we don't want to touch up or bump up against God's command, and so we, we put the buoys out further. We put the fence out further. And then there's a tendency not to bump up against that fence, and so we keep putting the fence out further and further so we don't do what's wrong, but then it's hard to stop. So I want to say this. Have standards, but seek to demonstrate what is good, always checking yourself against what? This if there's some practice that you have, and you think other people should be doing what you're doing, is it what the Word of God says, or is it your own opinion? Have grace toward those who are more loose with their practices, but by the same token, for those of you who feel a little bit more liberal in your practices as a Christian, have grace toward those who are more tight. What are some areas where this might be worked out? Christian education, for example. Now, I believe that every Christian should be giving their children a Christian education. But you see, even within that, there's all kinds of views. Homeschooling, you'll find certain traditions where everybody's supposed to homeschool, and if you send your children to a Christian school, you're doing what's wrong according to the Word of God. But you know there's other groups that are the exact opposite? There are Dutch Reformed groups that if you are homeschooling and don't have your kids in the church school, they will actually excommunicate you out of the church. What are some other areas where we might be legalistic on? How about dressing modestly? We might have good views on that, but we need to be careful on applying that rigidly to others in a way which pushes them away from the faith. Or recreations, what you do with your free time, what you do on the Lord's Day, and what would be the overarching principle in this? I would say this. Rather than telling people what to do, demonstrate it with your good practice. Because when you do something, you will have fruit from it. And if it's good fruit, people will want to know what you're doing. What are you using for your curriculum for your children? What school do you send your children to? What do you do for family worship? What are your views on how someone should dress to church? If you're demonstrating it and it's good, people will be drawn to you and they won't want to know. So not without words simply, but with deeds, with actions. Going on to verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. We are to walk 
in the Spirit. And what does that mean? Oftentimes we want to have some sort of a meter that we could tell with our lives. We put it on, boop, boop, boop. We find out how much we're walking in the Spirit. Oh, I'm down to 60%. Well, think about it for a minute. If you want to know how to walk in the Spirit and what that would mean, that is having a course of life in the Spirit, who inspired this? It was the Spirit of God that inspired men and women who sang songs and took down narratives and wrote letters and wrote out Gospels. This is the will of the Spirit moving through people, set down in the canon, the Word of God. If you want to know how to walk in the ways of the Spirit, then know His Word. And what would the Holy Spirit want? The Holy Spirit wants you to make war against the flesh. The Holy Spirit wants you to drive down the old man. The Holy Spirit wants you to take your sins and to kill them. The old doctrine of mortification, mortos, death, putting to death the old man. The Spirit enables you to do that, and the Spirit of God wants you to put to death the flesh. So bathe yourself in the Word of God particularly the Psalms, and you will think like the Spirit, and then you won't be divided. But on a side note, when it comes to confrontation on things that should not be done, how do you confront somebody? Well, I think the Apostle Paul has laid that out here. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you're confronting someone, confront them as you would want to be confronted. Confront them with grace and gentleness. Going on to verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. To be led by the Spirit is to walk in the Spirit, and walking in the Spirit sees that the law is fulfilled in Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? You're not under the obligations of the ceremonial law, but nor are we free to do whatever we want. We're also told in the Word of God that the Ten Commandments, the moral law, still has standing in our lives. We're not trying to do that in order to earn favor with God, but because we have the favor of God, we look at the Ten Commandments, and we are free to live according to the Ten Commandments as household rules because you, Christian, are in the family. Going on to verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And what we have here is a test to know if you're walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. And here we have the negatives. Look at this list here. Now, probably you'll look down here and go, idolatry? Well, I, I don't have little idols in my house. Sorcery? I'm not standing in my backyard with a boiling cauldron. How about this? Sexual immorality? Impurity? Sensuality? Strife? Jealousy? Fits of anger? Rivalries? Divisions? Dissensions? Envy? Drunkenness? If you look at this list, you'll probably say, I've done some of those. Maybe some of you out here are saying, yeah, I've done most of those. Friends, the point is this. It's not as though we don't fall into such things. We are sinners saved by grace. But what is the point of this? 
This is not simply those who do these things and then confess these and turn from them. That is our duty, to confess it, to turn from it, and to kill it when it sneaks back into our lives. But what do we have here? We have the ergon. That's the Greek word there. It says the works of the flesh. This is the ergon of the flesh. And that means work, task, employment. Kids, this is not saying that you don't fall into a sin sometimes, that you don't sometimes fall back into the sin. But what this is saying is, this is your work, your task, your way of life, as it were. You do these things and you keep on doing them without a care. You might feel a little bit bad about it, but then you fall right back into it. It's your employment. You are employed in the flesh. And this says here that the worker of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what should we conclude about this? Let's go on to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The test to know if you're walking in the Spirit, the positives, as it were, are laid out here. Now the law was meant to limit sin. The law was meant to limit sin for those who were immature in some sense as well. If you've ever wondered about the fullness of the law, you've got the Ten Commandments and then you've got hundreds of commands and then you've got applications and implications going forth into the narratives of the Old Testament. What was the point of that? It was to take a people from immaturity to a point of maturity in preparation for the coming of Messiah. It's the fullness for the immature, but we have a level of maturity that those in the Old Testament only dreamed of. The things that you know, it's not as though you're greater in and of yourselves, but you know the things that Abraham longed to see. You know what the meaning and the fullness of the law is, not dimly like the prophets of old. You know that Messiah has come and has come and died and resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father. You know the mysteries of the faith in its fullness and in its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the mature walk in the fulfillment of the law in Christ, and there is no law against the good. You also have the Spirit of God in your heart in a way that the Old Testament saints didn't have. You have the Spirit poured out and with us in a way that the old covenant saints didn't have. And the spirit moving in you and moving ahead of us. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This idea that we're just sinners struggling and constantly falling and failing, worm theology, very popular in our reformed circles. You see pastors getting up in the pulpit and tears flowing and I'm just barely holding on to Jesus and we always sin. We're so pathetic. Well, there's some truth in that. But you're also sons and daughters of the living God. You're also the people of God upon whom the Spirit was poured out on Pentecost and has never left. The third person of the triune God is in your hearts and is moving through your body and your hands and feet and leading you and guiding you in righteousness and we are to walk in the spirit. This idea of worm theology that has seen so many pastors fall into sin is not the ways of the Apostle Paul's teachings. 
The same Apostle Paul who writes Galatians chapter 5 also wrote Romans chapter 6. And in verse 2 in that chapter, it says, May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too might we walk in newness of life. You are new creations in Christ. Going on in Romans 6 to verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You are not under law, but under grace. You are soldiers in the army of Christ who've been enlisted to make war on the world, the flesh, and the devil, and enabled to do so in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? So what are we to do? Well, we modern Reformed Christians, we like our arid theology out here, and we like to sit around and dissect mortification and kind of throw it off to the side and spend our time thinking about justification by faith and thinking about how pathetic we are as sinners, and yet... What we are to do is what Christians have always done. We're to mortify the flesh. We're to beat it down. We're to slay it in the spirit. We're to make war on it and destroy it day by day. And all of you kids, you're involved in the greatest conflict in the history of the world. This age between the first and final advent of the Lord Jesus Christ is the age in which the kingdom of God is moving forward powerfully, sweeping up empires and nations and individuals, and you are taking your little part in that, pressing forward in the kingdom of God, not just seeing the kingdom of God moving through your neighborhood and converting people, but also seeing darkness driven out of our own hearts and our own lives. It's Lord of the Rings, man. We're in the quest. We're in the quest. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live, and you could translate this by or in the Spirit, then we've been crucified with Christ and raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit of God. And if that is the case, also by and in the Spirit, you should be stoikomen. Stoikomen. That's what that word says there. Keep in step with. That verb is stoikomen. It means walk in a particular line with a particular cadence. We are to be those who walk in a very purposeful manner through this life. We walk by the Spirit. And if the Spirit is in us, we should walk in the particular way of the Spirit. When I was a Cub Scout, our pack went on a hike. We were walking up an ascent and I was having a hard time. The scoutmaster told me I was doing it wrong and showed me the way to walk up a steep path. Lean into the incline, he said, and zigzag instead of walking straight up. It was still hard, but by showing me how to walk his way, I was able to press on and finish. Friends, the Christian walk is not about starting, but of finishing our journey well. Our journey is a steep ascent that overcomes 
the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have to lean in and press forward in the way of the Spirit. And this morning we've seen in Galatians how we are to walk this way. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for redeeming us off the ash heap, from taking us from judgment and being placed as sons and daughters, all through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for pouring out your spirit into our hearts and upon our lives. So we pray that you'd bless us to walk your way Cause us to walk your way even this week and convict us and give us opportunities to call others to walk your way. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.